The next thing is that as well as stoning people, uh, we are going to hear that Jesus is going to teach us I didn't do this very well. Jesus is going to teach us to hate. Okay? Can you see that? Jesus this morning is going to ask you, hate. Okay? Now, is anyone thinking, finally, something I'm good at? (laughs) Something Jesus is going to say that I can actually be good at and do. Well, we'll find out, shall we? And if you're still excited about hating people at the end, come and see me and let me know why. Okay, right. But I've also, well actually I, I think the Holy Spirit gives me good stuff and what I do is then I try and make it funny. Okay, so he gives me good stuff and I make it silly. All right, so one day this week after I'd written the message for this morning, I woke up and I couldn't get back to sleep and I I felt the Holy Spirit say, make an acronym out of the word hate. Now, an acronym, I thought it was a mnemonic, but it's not a mnemonic. It's an acronym. I googled it. And so, the first, the first letter, or the first H stands for he, and the third letter T stands for he trumps. Now Marie's thinking, yes, he certainly does. (laughs) And Val's giggling because she says, Mike does it all the time. (laughs) And Mike says, it's the dogs. (laughs) I bet Mike blames the dogs for leaving the toilet seat up as well, doesn't he? Okay, they do. All right. I asked, um, I asked Isabella and Ethan if they could let me look, get me the Bibles that are underneath the seats, thinking there's only about six Bibles. But actually there's a whole pile of Bibles here. So young people, come and pick up a Bible, please. All right, and pick up a pen as well, because you'll, you'll need to write something down. There we go. I haven't got enough notepads for you, but I'm a firm believer of writing on your hand. Okay. All right. With your pen, if you can come up with, uh, if you can fill in the other two letters, A and E, to make a mnemonic about hate, then there's a big pack of Maltesers for the best one. Okay, a big pack of Maltese, adults as well. Don't anyone shout out during the service. Don't give any clues away, just in case you've worked out what mine might be. Okay, but... Well, if they get my one, yes, they definitely win. But if they don't get my one, you can come up with other acronym for hate, okay? Now, right, where are we? We sang, was it the youth who chose the song, Jesus, I Love You? Yeah? Okay, well, in the lyrics I wrote down on my hand, okay, lay down, I want to lay down my life for you, Jesus, give me my all to you. Okay? So, from a scale of zero to 100%, how much trust and devotion 
do you think Jesus wants from you? From a scale of zero to one, don't have to write this down by the way, zero to 100%, how much of your devotion does Jesus want from you, do you think? 100%, do you agree with that youth? Yeah? Okay. If you don't desire to give 100% to Jesus, first of all, do you desire to give 100% to Jesus? Yeah? Want to, yeah, desire. Anyone desire to want to give 100% to Jesus? Yeah? Now, if you don't want to give 100% to Jesus, is that because you don't fully believe in Jesus yet? Or is it you do fully believe in Jesus, you just don't fully trust him yet? That might be a reason why you don't want to give him your 100%. Maybe you'd like to, but you've got so many questions and doubts about Jesus before you go all in. Give your whole heart to him like we sang. After all, it's not easy, is it, to take a leap of faith in trusting Jesus, who is good, and believe in a God who says, I am good, when we see so much bad all the time? Doesn't that make it difficult? To have faith and trust in God who is good when we see so much bad? Do you you struggle with that sometimes? But if you are someone who wants to give 100% to Jesus, realistically... How much of that 100% do you actually feel you can offer him? On a daily basis, even if you desire to give him 100%, what realistically do you reckon is a good percentage of what he's going to get from you on a day-to-day basis? You don't have to answer that, but just have a think about that. Now, it's great that you desire to give Jesus 100%. And you know what? He sees that. Even if you mess up and you don't manage even 50%, Jesus sees your heart. God makes it clear in the Bible. He sees your heart. He knows what you're thinking. So if your desire is to give Jesus your all, then he sees that. And that is more than half the battle won already. Your heart. Your desire. Okay? What causes the difference between what we'd love to give Jesus and what we actually give Jesus. What makes the difference? Well, there are so many things, isn't it, that cause us not to give our 100% to Jesus. It could be our feelings, our struggles, could be other people. They're a problem, aren't they? Other people. It could be physical health, it could be mental health, emotional struggles that cause me not to be able to give Jesus 100%. It could be low self-esteem, fear, fear of clowns, possibly, sort of thing. Perhaps not. Well, people do fear clowns. I don't know if that stops you following Jesus, but there are so many things that make it hard. For us to give Jesus our 100%. Why does it seem like from the moment you wake up, everything in the world, including the thoughts in your head, make it such a struggle to trust Jesus 100%? Why is it that everything seems to be making it hard for you? From the moment, even perhaps before you wake up, the thoughts that you're having in your sleep, 
Even they sometimes make it hard for you to give Jesus 100%, doesn't it? Why is that? Why does it seem such a struggle in the world if God made the world? Well, last week we looked at a really dramatic statement by John, who was the disciple of Jesus, who later went on to write the book of John, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And he also wrote three books at the end of the Bible as well. And you don't have to turn there, I'll get you to turn somewhere in a minute, but John said this, okay, and it's quite a dramatic statement. John said, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Who's the evil one? We know him as Satan, don't we, or the devil. According to this disciple, who was very close to Jesus, he said, we're children of God, but the whole world is under the control of the devil. And do you know what happened? When the devil conned Adam and Eve into trusting him and following him rather than trusting God and following God, the devil became the God of this world. He took the authority that God gave Adam and Eve. And from that moment onwards, the, the, Satan, the evil one, has made or shaped the world, controlled the world, to make it so difficult to follow Jesus and so tempting to follow the devil. That's just the world you live in, which is really sad, isn't it? And one day Jesus is going to come back, get rid of the devil, get rid of all evil, and you won't struggle anymore. But in this life, we do struggle, don't we? Okay. Do you remember even when Jesus began his ministry? The devil tried to get him to follow him instead of following God. Do you remember that? And how did Jesus respond to the devil? Jesus quite calmly said, no devil, what you're saying is wrong. This is what God says. He quoted scripture to him, didn't he? This is what God says. Not what, I'm not doing what you're saying. I'm going to do what God says. Okay, that's how Jesus dealt with the devil when the devil tried to get him not to follow God's will, but to follow him instead. Okay. I want us to read some scripture today that talks about Jesus' passionate desire for you to give him 100% and also how to deal with the things that get in the way of you giving Jesus your 100%. Okay? So, with your Bibles, turn to Luke 14. I wonder if there's any £10 notes in these Bibles. Luke chapter 14. Jesus is going to teach us how to hate. Luke 14, verse 25. 10.48 for those with Green Street Green Bibles. Luke 14, verse 25. You there? Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, verse 25. Oh, you're in John. 
Okay. Maybe we should study John today because this is a quite hard passage, isn't it? If someone was struggling to trust Jesus this morning, then this passage hasn't helped much, has it? Jesus wants us to hate our closest relatives and even ourselves. And if we don't, we can't be his disciples. We can't literally be giving ourselves 100%. Is anyone a little confused by that? After all, doesn't Jesus tell us to love other people? Even love our enemies? So, please Jesus, make up your mind. What are you saying? Love others or hate others? Well, perhaps you've heard other people say that the Bible can't be trusted because there's too many contradictions in it. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, the Bible's full of contradictions. Well, actually, when you read the whole of the Bible, you'll realise there's no contradictions. What there are are clues asking you to dig a bit deeper, to find the treasure. Okay, so we, should we dig a bit deeper this morning and find the treasure of what Jesus is actually saying? He's not contradicting himself. And the best way to dig deeper and interpret the Bible is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Okay, so where do we go to understand what Jesus says? Well, we go to the, somewhere else in the Bible. So, turn to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Okay? Keep, I should have said keep your finger in, um, keep your finger in Luke, but turn to Deuteronomy. We're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture for us. Deuteronomy. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is basically the retelling of all the commandments and instructions God gave to Moses to give to the people of Israel. God gave the people of Israel these instructions so that they would be a people in relationship with him, a people who did not behave like the rest of the world behaved, but a people who could come become holy so that God could draw near to them. Holy God could draw near to his holy people. And they could show the rest of the world how good God is. That was the plan. Jesus was coming. He's always plan A, Jesus. But in the meantime, God gave them instructions to be holy, just as I am holy, he said. And you follow these. I can be with you, be near you, and you can show the rest of the world how good I am. Did it work? Did giving these instructions to the Israelites work? No. Sadly not, but pardon the pun, people being people are hell-bent on following the way of the world. Why? Because the whole world is under the influence of the evil one and he shaped it so that it is so hard to be obedient to God and it is so easy to go the way of the devil, the rest of the world. So they failed. And also, because Jesus hadn't yet died for their sins and so the Holy Spirit could not live in each one of them, what they had was the Old Testament on stone tablets and on paper and they had animals to take the blame and shed their blood to cover their sins. That's what they had. What do we have as born-again believers now that Jesus has died? Well, we have the complete forgiveness and cleansing of our sins because of Jesus' blood and we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, who writes God's laws on our hearts. So although it doesn't feel like it, we are in a much better position to follow Jesus and give him our 100%. That doesn't mean it's easy, is it? 
but it does mean that each one of us who has put our faith in Jesus, given him our, our desire to give him 100%, has received the Holy Spirit. Therefore, all of us have an ever-present help in times of trouble. But it doesn't make it easy. But we're in a much better position than these people. Okay? Right. So, let's read one of the instructions the Israelites were given by God. Deuteronomy 13. Turn to chapter 13. And hopefully, this bit of scripture will help us understand what Jesus is saying. Deuteronomy 13, 6 to 11. Don't call it out, but has anyone got a good mnemonic yet? John has? All right. Derek has? Okay, cool. Well done. All right. Deuteronomy 13, verse 6. It says... If your very own brother or your son or daughter or the wife you love, do you recognise this list of people? Is it the same kind of list of people that Jesus was telling us to hate? Okay, let's carry on. If your own brother or your son or your daughter or the wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor ancestors have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other, do not yield to them, your mother, your sister, your brother, all those, or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Wow. Killing your own family members? Suddenly, Jesus' use of the word hate towards your family doesn't seem quite so bad as the Old Testament's kill, does it? Okay, are you a bit relieved? All right? I don't have, you don't have to kill them anymore, just hate them. Okay. <laughs> Surely not. God wants you to kill your own brother, son, daughter, spouse, or closest friend? Let's read on. Okay, halfway through verse 9. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death and then the hands of all the people. Stone them to death because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God. What's the reason an Israelite person was instructed by God to treat their family member like this, young people? What's the reason he wanted them to stone them? It was because they were going to... Sorry? Yeah, they're going to turn you away from God to worship other gods, to follow the devil, basically. There are no other gods. The devil's made them all up. Okay? That's the reason God wanted you to stone your family member, if they tried to turn you away from God, to steer you away. Not because your mum shrunk your favourite hoodie, could you stone her, or because your brother ate all the Cocoa Pops. (laughs) Stone them to death and you being the first person to throw the stone if they try and turn you away from God. Are you getting a clue as to why Jesus might ask you to hate your family members for him? Perhaps. Okay, verse 10. We'll repeat a little bit. Stone them to death because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid. And no one among you will do such an evil thing again. So why did God ask them to take such drastic action, even against a close relative? 
It was so that people would be afraid of doing such an evil thing and not do it. Not entice each other away from God. Did it work? Did the threat of being stoned to death by relatives stop the Israelite people from being turned away from God and turning each other away? No. And why do you think it was so difficult for them to stop themselves from turning away from God? Because the whole world is under the influence of the evil one and he has made it so hard for you to follow God and so easy to follow him. Isn't it unfair? Yes. People may not see the awful short and long-term consequences of not choosing God, but God does. Okay? So no wonder early on God had, gave, God had to give the Israelites such serious instructions in the hope that they would stop following the devil. But it didn't work, did it? Can you imagine yourself actually having to pick up a big rock and throw it at a family member? And then other people joining in and killing them? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> how serious, how serious was it to God that people follow him and nothing else? How serious was it? Deadly serious, yeah. That's how Mike reacts to my jokes. Even though we are no longer in the Old Testament times, but the New Testament times, where it's not our responsibility to stone someone to death if they try and lure us away from God, do you think that nowadays God is less serious about people being lured away from him? No? Do you think he's got more relaxed now that Jesus has come? Let's go back to what Jesus said and we'll confirm it, shall we? Go back to Luke 14. Jude, you can go via John. Stop there for a little bit. And then join us in Luke 14. Verse 25. Luke 14:25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. To Jesus is choosing to follow him above everyone else, including yourself, still a super serious issue. Is it deadly serious, life and death? Yeah. (coughs) Young people... We've just started a series last week on identity, gender, sexuality, and things like that. Now, in order to carry on our conversation, a bit like a teacher, I mean, teachers would understand this, you think, well, I need to teach that, but before I teach that, I need to make sure people understand something else. This is the something else, okay? So having dug into scripture elsewhere, in the Bible to find the treasure about not even letting our loved ones lure us away from following God. What do you think Jesus means here when he says we cannot follow him unless we hate our family and even ourselves? 
Is he talking about hating our family all the time for any reason? No. He's talking about times when even if our loved ones or even something within ourselves tries to entice us away from following Jesus, we should hate that. We should hate the situation where someone or something, maybe in us, is trying to lure us away from what God says, what God's will is, what Jesus is calling us to do. See it for the life and death situation that it is. Don't just take it lightly. If it boils down to it and a loved one or something of yourself is against you being devoted to Jesus, you need to make a difficult but decisive decision. Now, thankfully, we are no longer required to actually stone the person. But you do need to do something about it. Okay? What do we do? Ooh. What should you do if someone, even a loved one, or something about yourself is luring you away from obeying Jesus? What should you do? Do you remember in our Deuteronomy passage, it talked about family, but also talked about your closest friend? Can you remember a time when Jesus' closest friend tried to unknowingly entice Jesus, entice Jesus away from what God wanted? Can you remember a time? Peter! Okay, go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. The first book of the New Testament. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 21. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus knew without a doubt what our Heavenly Father was calling him to do. There are times when we absolutely know what God is wanting us to do. Is that right? But there are also times when you don't know or you're not too sure what God is wanting you to do. But trust me, or trust the Bible, when I say that if you don't know what God wants you to do, but you ask him to show you and you read his Bible as well, it won't be long before you see it. You might not agree with what God is asking you to do. It might be difficult for you to make the decision to follow him, but he will let you know what he wants for that certain situation. Okay, Jesus knew, without a doubt, what God wanted him to do. He was going to go and suffer and die and then be raised to life. Okay. Verse 22. Peter, his best friend, took him aside and began to rebuke him, tell him off. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Why is Peter doing this? He cares for Jesus. He doesn't want to hear him talk about dying and think, no, no, Lord, no, it's not going to happen to you. No. He thinks he's doing Jesus a good thing, looking out for Jesus' best interests. But without realising it, what is Peter actually doing? Is he trying to, or not, not he's not attempting to, but are his words actually luring Jesus away from what God wants? Yeah. Is that a serious thing? When even your loved one or best friend 
lures you away from what God wants? Yeah. Unbeknown to Peter, his words are actually acting to lure Jesus away from surrendering to God's plan. Now, bearing in mind that Peter is Jesus' best friend, how much tact and diplomacy do you think Jesus is going to show him? None. Here's what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus turns and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. That sounded harsh, didn't it? Get behind me, Satan. But when you take into consideration all that we've read from the Bible today, what do you think Jesus was actually demonstrating and probably teaching Simon and us? What do you think he was demonstrating and teaching us? If something or someone is trying to allure you away from God and what God says, we need to recognise how serious it is and take a stand against it. And notice how Jesus doesn't address Peter. Who does he address? Satan. Because the devil is behind Peter's thoughts and words and actions. Does this mean that you can call your mum or your dad the devil when, when they tell you to go and clean your room? <laughs> Get behind me, Satan! Well, no. For one thing, telling you to clean your room is not luring you away from following Jesus. And for another, I think Jesus is demonstrating what the Bible tells us elsewhere, which is actually... People are not the problem. It says in Ephesians 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Meaning, when someone or something is tempting you against what God says, your real battle isn't with the person, it's with the evil spirits behind it. Okay? So just like, I think... Jesus, in that instance, named and shamed the devil openly and outwardly because he wanted to teach us what is really going on behind the scenes. That doesn't mean that we should, in every circumstance, start naming and shaming the devil right there and then. I think we are called not to freak someone out, but at the same time, take the incident seriously and deal with the devil. Maybe not right there and then. Okay? Jesus loved his disciple Peter and he moved Peter on and Peter became his chief disciple. Jesus even prayed for Peter because Jesus said, Peter, the devil has asked you to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that you would not fail, your faith would not fail. So we are to love the person who's coming against us, our family member, and to be patient with them, but also to hate the devil behind it. Okay? Go away from when the, go away and just pray about it afterwards. Come against the devil. He's the one you should be throwing stones at. Okay? He's the one you need to kill, stone to death. How dare you? How dare you come against me and trying to lure me away from my friend? Don't freak out against the friend. Jesus was just doing that to instruct us about the real battle. Okay. If there's someone or something luring you away from obeying Jesus, see it for what it really is and don't be swayed, even if it comes through someone you love. The best way is to choose Jesus every time. 
Okay, let's quickly read that again. Verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turned to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Does this verse begin to make a bit more sense now? If something is trying to lure you away from Jesus, even if it comes through someone very close to you, hate the evil behind it and choose Jesus every time. Verse 27, what does that say? And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That doesn't mean wearing a necklace or an earring with a cross in it, although you can do that. Carrying your cross is another way of Jesus saying, following me means really following me, no matter what the cost to you. Do you remember what Jesus desperately asked his heavenly father before he was crucified? Father, please take this away from me. If it's possible that I don't have to go through this, then please. But what did Jesus also pray? But not my will, but your will be done. Was Jesus looking forward to carrying his cross and being crucified the next day? No. But he did say, but not your, my will, but your will be done. So carrying your cross, Jesus means, is submitting to Jesus and saying, not my will, but your will be done. Okay, in every situation. Okay, very quickly, let's finish. 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees will ridicule you, saying, the person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming with him again with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. What's Jesus asking you to give up? Basically, your own, your own will. In a sense that Jesus, not my will, but your will. That's what he wants. An attitude of 100%. I want to do your will. Even if it costs me. Even if my family try and sway me, I'm going to choose you, Jesus. Even if there's something about me, I'm going to choose you, Jesus. Jesus is asking you to look ahead to your eternal future with him and then decide now whether you have what it takes to always want him. 100%. Okay. Anyone, youth, have you come up with what mine might be or what yours might be? Any ideas? Lucy? Sorry. He... He asks. He oh okay. His ass trumps everywhere. That would be better, wouldn't it? Okay, that's not a winner. It was funny, but not a winner. Well, yes, he always trumps evil. Yeah, I like that one. Okay, another good one. Ooh, youth. Noah, he always trumps everything. Yeah, he always. 
ways trumps everything. Okay, that's pretty close to mine, actually. Oh, wash it. He always trumps everywhere. Okay. I've got, he always trumps everyone. Okay, which is what you've got. But, he always trumps everywhere. He always trumps everything. Or he alone trumps everyone. Okay? So when Jesus is asking you to hate even those closest to you who are wanting to lure you away, or even if there's something inside you that is tempting you to lure you away from the way of God, what does hate mean? When it means, oh, I better fill in actually. He always trumps everyone or everything. Okay? So when Jesus is asking you to hate, what is he saying? He always trumps everyone or everything. No matter what the situation, Jesus is asking you, before you follow me and you follow me home to heaven, make sure you've got the right attitude. You're not going to be perfect. You are going to fail because the world has set you up to fail. The evil one is trying his best to make you fail in your identity, in your thoughts, in your circumstances, through other people, through the world, through wars, through earthquakes, through famines, all sorts of things that the enemy is causing. Because he's in charge, not in charge totally, but he's um, uh, swaying the world in a certain way. And Jesus says, I need you now to commit to an attitude of hate to everything else that comes against you following me. Because he always trumps everyone or everything. His will all the time. And Jesus says, if you commit to that, you will be able to follow me all the way to heaven. Because when things come against, you'll say, no. It's Jesus every time. But Jesus says, if you can't commit to that, when trouble comes, when persecution difficulty comes, then you may not make the distance because your attitude is not right. And you may end up following the devil home instead. You might start by following me. But if your attitude is not 100%, I want to give you Jesus, you, might, you, you won't ever give him 100%. But if your attitude is right, he sees that. And he'll work with you every day. Every day. If your attitude is Jesus, please help me. And when you sin, when you mess up, when you yield to the world that is calling you in a different direction, he says, Confess your sins to me, and I am faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. His mercy is new every morning, isn't it? But when your attitude suddenly changes to, do you know what, Jesus, I'll give you 80% because I want to go this way. I really want to go this way. I know that your word says something else, but that's, this is me. I'll give you 80%. Do you know what Jesus says? You're going to end up following the devil home. I need 100% of your heart. If you mess up, come to me and we'll work it through. You need to have the attitude of 100%. You won't give me 100%, but you need to have that attitude. And it begins by looking now and going, okay, I want that. I want to give you. Okay? Is that clear? He always trumps everything. That's what Jesus is calling us 
to do when he says hate. Okay? Brilliant.